So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of Galatians. We'll be getting into chapter 2 tonight, as we just started this series a few weeks ago now, the beginning of the year. And as you're turning to Galatians 2, I just wanted to recap a little bit of the context behind this letter and a little bit of where we've been the last few weeks. Galatians is a book written by the Apostle Paul. It's likely the first letter he ever wrote to any of the churches. And this is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one called by God for a purpose, part of that purpose being one of the pillars of the early church and to help instruct the churches through the writing of Scripture. And with this particular letter, he's writing to the people in this region. Galatia is a region, not necessarily one specific church. And in this region, there was a lot of false teaching that had crept in, specifically where they were claiming that you needed more than just faith to be saved. There's a lot of law and works that were being added to what it meant to be saved. And so Paul is trying to address this particular issue throughout this letter. He's trying to turn the people back to the true gospel, the only gospel. And that's his heart behind it, that the people would find life through the true gospel. That we can only be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as we looked at Galatians chapter 1, we see that Paul refers back to his own conversion story. This is what we looked at last week. And here, Jesus appeared to him, literally. And that, that encounter completely changed the trajectory of Paul's life. He was transformed because of that encounter he had with Jesus. And I think that as we think about the, the transformation of Paul, an element of that should be true for everyone who is a believer. Yeah, we aren't necessarily going to you know, go plant churches like to the same level that, that Paul did, or maybe have that same level of influence, especially as we were talking about the influence he had in the early church. But just that, that transformation, that he was noticeably different because of his encounter with Jesus, that should be something that each and every believer should have. There should be something that's noticeably different about you after you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so what we talked about last week, what John led us through, was this idea that, that Paul was called by God. He was called on purpose for a purpose. And we know that that purpose for Paul was largely to plant churches specifically in the unreached regions in the Gentile world. He wanted to plant churches where the gospel hadn't gone before. And ultimately, he did this because he wanted to make much of Christ and that people would find life in him and through the gospel. And the gospel was what was really the foundation for him in this. He had a strong grounding in the true gospel. And so tonight, when we look at Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be seeing a little bit more of this theme. You probably heard us talking about the gospel a lot as we've been going through Galatians, and it's not stopping tonight. So I've titled this message, The Unchanging Gospel. And we've seen a little bit of this idea already in the first chapter, but just how there is no other gospel. Therefore, it is also unchanging. It's not something that we're looking to add to, but it is unchanging and complete. 
So let's begin reading now in Galatians 2, beginning in verse 1. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom we have, we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All right, so that's our passage for tonight. And just bear with me, it's going to be a bit of reading scripture here at the the beginning. But before I jump into... uh, well, Acts 15 is kind of the, the more in detail version of what this meeting is, and we will read that in a second. I just wanted to touch on verse 1. So 14 years, Paul has, this is sometime after his conversion. We don't know the exact time that he's dating the beginning of these 14 years. There's some debate to that. But just think, Paul's been roughly planning churches and doing ministry for something like 14 years And here he's been now led by God to go to Jerusalem with this mission in mind. God sent him essentially to be a pillar of the truth for this Jerusalem council. And so that's what he's referring to about this revelation is it was God who sent him on this mission in verse 2. So now I wanted to actually take us now to Acts chapter 15 and read the account there because I think it'll give us a little bit more information on what was actually discussed in this council. So Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And I brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, 
it is necessary to, the, to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and with blood. For from the ancient generation, generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. All right, so Acts 15 is the more detailed account of this meeting that happens that Paul is talking about here in Galatians 2. And what they're addressing is this idea of adding to what it means to be saved, adding elements of the law. Primarily, the, the element of circumcision. Was circumcision necessary to be saved? And what the, the council, what the apostles decided on or agreed upon here was that no, circumcision was not necessary to be saved they realized they had found true freedom in the gospel, that Christ's sacrifice was truly sufficient to save apart from any works, including those of the law. We are freed to live a life of obedience in response to the grace that we have received, but we are no longer under obligation to keep the law. We recognize that fruit or works are a fruit of salvation. They don't actually contribute to one's salvation. And so the issue of circumcision largely deals with the issues of the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And what the apostles did in this meeting was affirmed that Christ's work and Christ's sacrifice ultimately fulfilled those laws that the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament no longer apply to us. And so we think about a lot of the other ones, like, the, like circumcision being one of them, regulations regarding washing. Like if you read Leviticus and Numbers, you see a lot of these things, like 
if this happens, this makes you unclean, you gotta go through all these steps to be washed and ceremonially clean. There's a lot of laws like that. There's a lot of dietary laws. This is why they weren't allowed to touch or eat pigs and we're grateful that that's no longer a thing. <laughs> and, right. And the sacrificial system is another one that is no longer in practice for those because of what Jesus has done. So when we sin, we don't, we don't have to go around looking for a goat or a lamb to sacrifice to atone for that sin. Christ's sacrifice has fulfilled the ceremonial laws for us. And so that's what this council was really about, was affirming that. And so in verse 2, we see here that Paul was preaching the gospel, and he continued to preach the gospel. Galatians verse, chapter 2, verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Just focusing on the last little bit of that verse, the gospel he proclaimed among the Gentiles. Paul knew the gospel super well. That's why he was able to go into this meeting with such confidence. He knew what he was preaching. He knew what the true gospel was. He was confident that circumcision and these elements of the law were no longer necessary because of Christ's sacrifice. He knew the gospel well enough to be able to fight for it and realize when there was false teaching and error that was creeping in. And I think this is a really good example for us, just how well Paul knew the gospel, how well he was able to communicate it and share it with others. So I think that raises a good question for us. Do you know the gospel well enough to be able to share it with others? Do you know it well enough to be able to discern when something is false, when someone is adding something to it or taking something away from it? See, the gospel is not just good news for us in that we pray a prayer and then we don't have to do anything else. It's not just that we don't have to worry about going to hell when we die. There's so much more to it than that. It's about what our, our lives are now in Christ, what he has made us for now. The gospel should be the foundation that is transforming our lives today. That we should be driven to live holy lives because of the gospel, because of our understanding of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. So I just want to encourage us to be examining our lives is there evidence that your life is driven by the gospel, by that desire to live a holy life and to make Christ known and to share the gospel with others? Another key piece of the gospel for us is it gives us identity in Christ, that he's the one who gives us our purpose and our identity. We don't get to define how we live. The gospel isn't just a get out of hell card. Jesus gives us our identity through the gospel. And we are driven now in obedience to him to live the way he has called us to live. We need to make sure we know the gospel to be able to discern between what is right and what is false, to be able to preserve it for those who are hearing it, who don't believe, 
that we can be confident that they're hearing the one true unchanging gospel and not some perverted version of it. Verse three. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. This verse is just more support for the idea that circumcision did not add to or contribute to salvation. Paul was able to look at Titus as an example. He was not forced to be circumcised, and yet the work of God was evident in him, that it was obvious that the Holy Spirit had come upon him and that he was changed and working through him, that lives were being transformed around him. He was not circumcised and yet very evidently was a follower and true believer in Christ. What more evidence did Paul need than a life like Titus? Part of what's just hard for the Jews, specifically for those who were bringing in this false teaching, who were holding on so tightly to circumcision, was just how much of a key piece that was for ancient Jews. That was a primary indicator of, of one who had been separated from the world. It was a primary evidence that you've been called, that you've been called from the world, that you've been set apart. That was a primary means that evidenced that. And so a lot of these Jews were holding on to it so tightly. But again, we see that because of what Christ has done, we are not obligated to continue to follow that. I think a good example of this is what we read about in 1 Corinthians 8. Paul talks about the freedom that believers have when it comes to food. That even, if, even food that has been sacrificed to idols is still okay to eat. That there's nothing special about food. That it's really just food. And that, either, and that we have the freedom in Christ to eat it, even if it has been sacrificed or has been used in a ritual or pagan ritual. Paul does caution, though, in that, in that chapter, that if it causes your brother to stumble, that maybe it's best for you to not to partake. But I think that the application of this issue of circumcision really is similar to the application of the food. That it's not right or wrong to be circumcised. Like, there's nothing wrong with being circumcised either, but it does not in any way add to your salvation or contribute to it. And we know that for us in the new covenant, the new sign of this covenant is now baptism, just as circumcision was in the old covenant. Now looking at verse four. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us in to slavery. I think this is a very sobering verse, just recognizing that false teaching had crept in. And just as it did then, it can today. This is part of why it's so important for us to know the gospel. And this is part of why it was so important for the apostles to combat this false teaching. That's why they had to have this meeting. They had to come together and kind of put together their, their statement, so to speak, on what and like how to address this issue, how to stop this false teaching of adding to the gospel. 
False teaching had crept in from those who appeared to be among them, but ultimately were just wolves in sheep's clothing. But I think verse 5 is, is really a great verse for us to hold on to. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Praise God for the apostles and for Paul who stood firm on what the gospel was. They helped to preserve it for us and for those who adhere through them. They did not yield even for a moment. They did not compromise at all. I think it's interesting to think about the way Paul describes himself in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, that he became all things to all men that he might by all means save some. This speaks to his heart to win people over for Christ. His desire was for people to come to know Christ and to be saved, so much so that he would really empty himself out, that he would go through all sorts of measures to try to win people over. He would do certain things to help keep people from stumbling or to just help relate to them and to bring the gospel to them. But when it came to issues of doctrine and ultimately the gospel, he would not compromise. He was firm with the things he knew he needed to be firm with. And I think that's a great example for us to follow, especially as it comes to doctrine and the issues of salvation. These are not things that we can let the world define or change for us. I'm reminded of what Paul already said in Galatians 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That was all Paul cared about, was preserving the gospel for the sake of Christ. He wasn't interested in trying to please man or to accommodate people with what they wanted to hear. He was faithful even in the midst of persecution and intense pressure. He knew ultimately that even if people would reject him for it, or if they would come against him, that ultimately it was for the good of the people and of the church for him to remain firm. This is a fight that we can join in to fight to preserve the gospel and the truth of God and his word. Recognize that souls are at stake when we consider the message. We must be faithful to preserve this message for those around us. So I was thinking about just the importance of false teaching and just knowing the gospel. It was one of the reasons why I was kind of drawn to this book to study here at SALT. And part of it is like, we've talked a little bit about false teaching, like we've mentioned things here or there. I think it's really easy for, for us to spend too much time doing that. And part of why I wanna be careful to not do that is because when you think about false teaching, like the target is always moving, right? Like false teachers will come and go and th their doctrines and ideas will always evolve. But part of what just, I think, draws me to this particular book is just how heavy the emphasis on the gospel there is. Like, let's know what is true. Let's spend the majority of our time 
really knowing what is true. And I think when we really know what is true, then we're equipped to actually be able to recognize what is false. And so that's part of my hope for us as we continue to go through this book, that we wouldn't get distracted so much by the examples of what is false around us, but that we really would be grounded in knowing what is true. That we'd be like what Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8 says, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. It's my hope and prayer that we'd be rooted in Christ, that we'd be walking in him in such a way that we won't be led away. We won't be led astray by the false teachings and philosophies of this world that our hope will be built on the one unchanging gospel and the hope that we find in scripture. Nothing can be trusted above scripture. And that's something that I just want to keep saying over and over and over again. Like even, like hopefully, your pastors are very faithful teachers of God's word. But don't just take their word for it. Like read it for yourself and know it for yourself. Don't take my words for granted either. Like, I, I'm not 100% accurate anyway. As much as I try to be faithful to present God's word in an honest way, read it for yourself. Test what we say to see if it is in line with scripture. The other thing I would just say too is just how important it is for us to not just read the word, but to study it. To be able to actually learn the depths of it for yourself, to be able to understand its true, deep meanings. And I just, I don't, I don't say this to boast, so I want to be a little bit careful about how I say it, but I don't have any sort of official Bible schooling or doctrinal teaching certificates or anything like that. I don't have a formal Bible education and not going to claim to be the smartest guy in the room. I know that that is way false. I don't claim to have a lot of... I know there's so much more knowledge for me to find in Scripture and in knowing God's Word. But I also recognize how far I have come, even just looking at the last eight or ten years in my own personal study in God's Word. And I say that as, again, somebody who doesn't have that Bible degree, that isn't on staff, this is something that is achievable for all of us. If we just take a little bit of initiative to study God's word for ourselves, every single one of us in this room can grow to understand scripture a lot more than what we usually care to do. And so I hope that I can just encourage you, even if it's just a little bit, to take a little bit more initiative to seek to study God's word for yourself to be a student of it, to actually care about understanding what it means, and maybe even go a step further and to be able to teach it to someone else. That you'd be able to teach people who can teach other people. And that together we'd just be a much more, even more deep, knowledgeable, biblically literate community, and we can be making a greater difference in this region as we study God's word together.
I even think that the passage like tonight is actually kind of funny just thinking about this. I remember just a few weeks ago, I was finally starting to look a little bit more closely at this text that I have for tonight. And just like the first time I read it, I was like, man, this is probably like the most boring chapter or passage in this entire book. But studying it, you find that there is a lot even in a passage like this. And I know a lot of times you get a lot more out of it by being the one you know, who's forced to present it. There's a lot of good that comes from that, though. Like, study it, and you'll find something, even in a passage, that doesn't seem to have as much. So I hope that's, again, just another example that studying God's word should bring life, that you should find a joy in that pursuit of understanding God's word. A few last things before we get closer to jumping into small groups. I just want to encourage us by just how firm and unchanging this gospel message truly is. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, we read this a few weeks ago, but Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Again, one gospel, one unchanging gospel one message. Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We can trust the word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, which, by the way, if you need like a few verses just to summarize the gospel, these verses are great for that. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's it. Christ died for us, for our sins, our sins that separated us from a holy God, as outlined in Scripture that he would, as it was prophesied, and also as it was prophesied, he raised on the third day. I also just love the way that that verse even begins, reminding us of the gospel that was preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved kind of highlights that idea that this, the gospel is not a one-time thing for us. It's not something that we receive at the moment of our salvation, but it's something that we continue to live by. Like we first hear it when it's preached to us, then we receive it when we accept Christ. We stand on the gospel, but we don't just, that's not the end of it either. By which we are being saved, that's speaking of the gospel helping us in our sanctification, 
helping us become more like Christ. The gospel is something we never grow old of, something we must always come back to. So we must know it. And again, it is unchanging. Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 8. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you of the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Again, unchanging. Jesus is unchanging. Jesus, the word of God, is unchanging. We can trust him. We can trust his word. 1 Peter 1, verses 23 through 25. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Again, unchanging and forever. I'm hoping that just these few verses that we've gone over in Galatians, that you just be encouraged to just know the true gospel. Be encouraged in the fact that we don't have to add to it. Like we don't have to be worrying about what Old Testament laws do we need to fulfill to be able to live a life where we're saved or wondering if we are saved by grace through faith alone. But that should be freeing us in our freedom in Christ to live a life of obedience to him. We don't have to be bogged down by laws, but we should be motivated to be living a holy life for him and to be able to share this message with those around us. I just want to briefly run through these last five verses, verses 6 through 10. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The influential ones who are talked about here, Paul's just speaking of the apostles. They validated the message that Paul had come with. The message that Paul was kind of making sure that he wasn't running in vain because of what he had been preaching. The apostles validated his message. And again, they affirmed that circumcision or anything else from the law does not add to salvation. And then from there, the, these verses just kind of highlight how Paul and Peter in particular kind of had their own callings, that God had called Peter primarily to be a messenger to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. Neither one was greater than the other. Just God, God was calling them separately. 
And then we see them ending this, this time encouraging Paul to remember the poor. And, I, and I, I like that. Paul was eager to do it, he says. And I think that, again, just speaks to the genuine care he had for the people. He didn't just exclusively care about their spiritual needs, but he also cared about physical. So even though the spiritual needs should be kind of our, our focus and our, our primary mission, we must not neglect the physical. We must keep them hand in hand. So as we read, again, these verses tonight, I think there just should be an encouragement to us. The apostles were in agreement as to what these fundamentals of the faith were. They were in agreement as to what it meant to be saved by grace through faith alone. I find it interesting that next week when we get there, we'll find that it didn't take long for some disagreements to creep in. But the gospel still doesn't change, and that's a hope for us. The un unchanging gospel was agreed upon, and we must be sure to live in line with that. Make sure we're in line with scripture and be able to share that with those around us.